Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. is the executive director of Sisters in Crime, and today I've got a special guest here on the podcast. Alex Segura is an acclaimed, award-winning writer of novels, comic books, short stories, and podcasts. He's the author of the Star Wars Poe Dameron Freefall, the Pete Fernandez mystery series, including the Anthony Award-nominated crime novels Dangerous Ends, Blackout, and Miami Midnight, and the upcoming Secret Identity, which will be published by Flatiron Books. His short story, Red Zone won the 2020 Anthony Award for Best Short Story, and his Border Noir short story, 90 Miles, will be included in the Best American Mystery and Suspense Stories of 2020. He has also written a number of comic books, most notably the superhero noir, The Black Ghost, the YA music series, The Archies, and the Archie Meets collection of crossovers featuring real-life cameos from the Ramones, the B-52s, and more. He's also the co-creator, co-writer of the Lethal Lit Crime YA podcast from iHeartRadio, which was named one of the best podcasts of 2018 by the New York Times. By day, he's the senior vice president of sales and marketing at Omni Press and with previous stints at Archie Comics and DC Comics. A Miami native, he lives in New York with his wife and children. Welcome to the podcast, Alex. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited well, to be I'm here. Del- Oh, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Of course, reading everything you do I, I, exhausts me. I, we, we should talk about time management as um, as part of our conversation. Sure. Um, and I'm also, you know, a huge Archie's fan. So that's um, my age gives that away. But that, that it's yeah, part no, of my no. life. Yeah, same here. That's what got me into comics. So... I can't wait to talk about the many different writing paths you've taken, but let's start at the beginning. You know, when did you say to yourself, I want to be a writer? And was there a specific path that you were drawn to? I mean, you've had such an interesting career so far. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, um, I think it was always like a, a primal idea, like as a kid, you know, drawing rough comic books or creating characters and um, you know, I always wanted to add to things, you know, I'd be playing with certain toys and then I'd create a new character that would be part of the story and come up with my own stories, but I didn't know it, you know, concretely as a kid, you know, I want to be a writer. I think that really didn't kick in until I would say high school and then got really more, got clearer in college when I started taking like creative writing courses and really getting into, I was an English lit major. So I got into the craft more and started, you know, there's a, there's a novel or a half written novel that I thankfully got lost to the winds of like computers, but that was very much like my riff on the great Gatsby or that kind of like high literature. But, um, I still needed focus. So I didn't really get that focus until I got into the workforce. I thankfully had a journalism back and that taught me a lot about deadline management and writing quickly and and not being overly precious with um, the process. You know, you kind of just get into the weeds and start typing. And that was helpful to me when I did figure out what I wanted to do. Um, 
and I'd always loved comics and I got a day job working in comics publicity. And that's, it's interesting. And we talked about this a little bit before we clicked record, but it's interesting when the things you love as a fan become your job. So comics became mm-hmm. my job. And I don't want to say that took the fun out of it. It just became something else. And so for fun, I started going back to another passion of mine, which was true crime and crime fiction. And I started to really get into it as a reader and a fan. I'd go to Bouchercon as a fan. And and that's when I started to get the inkling that maybe I wanted to do it. And, um, you know, maybe it was a, a byproduct of ego, but I was like, I'm going to write, you know, the definitive Miami PI series because there's so many great like location specific PI series that there should be one for Miami and it should be a Cuban American person and it should be this. And, um, you know, in retrospect, I found that there were others like, there was no way that I could be the only one, but I think we need that kind of hubris as young writers to like really dive in. And that's, that's when I really got into like honing my craft and, and, and creating finishing stuff. Cause you know, when you treat it like a hobby, you're never going to finish anything. So I started to treat it like another, like another job and then it became another job. So now I have no hobbies. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so let's talk about the crime fiction uh, a little bit, but you know, uh, because Miami is such a great setting for a series. I mean, it's such an interesting city, city that's changing so much and, and, uh, you know, is, is huge, but also small. And, and just, um, I've only visited a few times, but it, it seems to be a really great setting for a novel, a series. Yeah. I just love the duality of it. I mean, you have this kind of tropical coating, but underneath is this like bubbling dark noir. And I think that's the perfect setting, you know, whereas something like, I mean, I love New York noir novels, but I think you kind of come to expect darkness from big metropolises like Chicago or New York or um, whereas with places like Miami, it's it's much more about the contrast. You have this tropical paradise that is also not all it seems to be. You know, it's not just beaches and daiquiris and, and beautiful palm trees, but there's a, an underbelly there that's that makes it interesting to explore. And, and you really nailed it. It is a very small place and a big, you know, it can be big, it can be small. It's so diverse. It's much more sprawling than people think. You know, you think of Miami. It's not like New York, where it's very, it's very concentrated and and kind of, you know, packed. You know, there's stretches of farmland. You can be in, you know, there's like 10 different cities in one. And really, mm-hmm. Miami as a city is relatively small, but it's this kind of the swath of suburbs and other cities around it that really add to the the texture of the story. Yeah, it's a it's a perfect setting um, for for a novel. I mean, setting is so important, and you know, it's the setting panel is never the favorite thing to be assigned to, but it's such well, an like important yeah. character. <laughs> yeah, you have to treat it like a character unto itself. You know, you know, if if it feels like it could happen in Boston or Detroit or anywhere else, then you're not really doing your job as a writer. Yeah, no, you've got to find the specials. Mm-hmm. So you also short stories and you've got a, is it a standalone that's coming out from Flatiron? Yeah, or is... it's a standalone. It's uh, my first standalone. Uh, well, I guess Poe Dameron was a standalone, but it's part of the bigger like Star Wars universe. Um, but Secret Identity is set in 1975, New York. The protagonist is a Cuban-American female from Miami. She moves up to New York to, to work in comics uh, as uh, an assistant to the editor-in-chief of this fictional comic book company but what she she does it because she wants to write comics she wants to get her foot in the door and kind of do the things that she grew up reading um but she finds that her boss is not really conducive you know help helping her you know he's not advocating Mm -hmm. for her he's not giving her opportunities to write um so she ghostwrites a character with a colleague this guy from work that 
approaches her and says, we have this opportunity. Do you want to help me write this? It'll be under my name, but don't worry. It'll be fine. You know, we'll get you your credit eventually. Um, and she's smart. You know, she decides, okay, I'll try this and just advocate for myself and, and eventually it'll work out. But then her collaborator is murdered and the story becomes, the book becomes a huge hit. Like everyone loves this character. It becomes this phenomenon. And, and they had banked so many scripts that it takes a while before they need to find somebody else to write it. And so it's basically her taking on the role of amateur sleuth to uncover who killed her collaborator and how she can kind of reclaim this idea. Um, it's called Secret Identity, and it's it's really probably the culmination of all these different things that I'm passionate about, which is a little stressful to think about. You know, you know, what do you do next after this? But it's it's been great to write. And 1975s a really interesting time because it's pre internet. It's pre mm -hmm. being able to Google things or being able to um, set up identities or, or even have easy conversations with people. I mean, it's, it's, uh, and it's interesting time in New York as well. Was yeah. there something about 1975 that sort of drove you to, to that particular time? That's a great question. Yeah. I mean, I definitely didn't want to write a modern novel. We were going through the pro, the, you know, the throes of COVID and I didn't want to write something overly set in that. Not because it was just, just felt like we were still living it. So I didn't want to like, um, I wanted a little bit of an escape and 75 is interesting for comic books in particular, because it's before comic shops existed, you know, there were conventions and some secondary markets, but really you got your comics if you went into a grocery store and you picked them up. So it was a whole different market. And I think people were seeing the industry itself was on the downturn. You know, people were, were kind of looking to jump to do something else. It wasn't seen as it is today where it's like a means to an end and you could, you can write a hit comic book and then maybe write a TV show. And I think back then it was just seen as like kind of a dead end job. Um, and I wanted to show that, you know, comics has had low points, but then it becomes this much bigger thing. And in terms of the country, 75 is an interesting year because we're coming out of the darkness of like Watergate and this disillusioned mm -hmm. period and then heading into this kind of fabricated optimism with the, uh, you know, bicentennial. And, um, you know, there's still a lot of social changes, but we're all kind of spinning out into heading towards, you know, the yuppie period of the 80s and, and what that entails. But um, it just felt like it was the messy fallout from the 60s, which is really interesting to me. Like, the, you know, as opposed to the tidy ending, it felt really messy. Um, and for Carmen, the lead character, it's, it's a moment you know, to kind of see what happens when your dreams do come true. Like they don't always line up with exactly what you want. And, um, you know, our dreams kind of not degrade, but they become more challenged as they become reality. So I wanted to show that and, um, you know, really give the reader a sense of the, the best for me, my favorite, not to ramble on too, too much, but my favorite noir novels are the ones that take you somewhere else. You know, like Megan Abbott's uh, Dare Me really takes you into like high school cheerleading and the, the noir elements of teenage drama. And, um, you know, stuff like that. I really wanted to evoke a new world for readers, but also have the noir elements that we're familiar with. Yeah. And when's the book coming out? I believe it's March next year. Great. Well, I look forward to it. It sounds fascinating. Oh, 1975 is also an interesting time in women in the workplace, and there's a lot to unpack there. So I, I'm looking forward to, to seeing all those conversations in one novel. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I hope I do them justice. I definitely had a lot of, you know, beta readers and people who've lived that experience kind of give me feedback. So I, I definitely didn't want to go in there acting like I was the expert in that space. 
So when you, if you started in comics, I have a friend who just wrote a comic book and I was talking to her about this and, uh, because she was a playwright and, you know, it it was working in screenplays, but, you know, it's such a different medium because it's, it's visual, it's storytelling, it's really succinct storytelling. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about the process of it a little bit and what drew you to it? Um, and, and, you know, how, how you collaborate on these, these, it yeah. seems like because it seems so simple, it's probably so complicated to pull off a good comic. Well, I think it's funny because I, I love writing both novels and comics for different reasons. Novels are fun because you're you're basically God, for lack of a better word. You're in charge of everything. You're in charge of the camera angles, the pacing, the character development. Every bit of detail that you put on the page is up to you. Obviously, you know, editors will chime in and agents will chime in, but that first draft is all yours, whereas comics... The closest uh, comparison I can come up with is music. Like you're in a room with a bunch of people and you're adding, you're all adding different things that maybe a standalone wouldn't make sense. A baseline by itself is, you know, it's a nice beat, but it's not a song. But then when you add everything else, it becomes this piece of art. And that's comics is that too. I, I, if, if I handed somebody my script, it wouldn't be that compelling. It would just be, it would be a script, which is interesting, but it's not entertainment on its own. Um, but when you send it to an artist and they kind of create the visual side, they're, they're like the director mm-hmm. of the movie. Um, and so I think, yeah, I, I think the process is deceptively simple, but it's also like poetry almost. You have, you have this kind of, yeah. you can only say, have so many words per panel. You can only have so many, you can have one action per panel. So that means I can't say in the script, like Alex punches and the other person punches back. It's, it's literally that one action is all there is. Like that's the only thing you can, I didn't mean to like punch the screen, but that's like the, <laughs> that's like the only thing you can show. So there's limitations. You can only have so many panels on a page. It's almost like putting a puzzle together. So you kind of run your story through that puzzle. You have only so many pages to write. And, um, and that's how you get the creative thing done. Whereas with novels, it's so much more freewheeling and, and that's a little daunting too, in its own way, like the blank page. Mm-hmm. Um, so with, with comics, I like to, if I know the artist, I like to let the artist do their thing. I don't like to micromanage the artist and say, panel one, it should be this, and make sure you show that. I, I want it to be a conversation where I'm, you know, giving them the tools to make it the best they can. Like, um, we did this Kickstarter for a book called The Dusk, which is kind of, mm-hmm. um, how can I say, you know, it's, it's, it's my my tweak on the Batman trope where it's a much more modern look at how heroes interact with the police and criminals and, and what it means in the, you know, in the, you know, criminal justice system and that it's not as clean cut as we would like it to think to be, you know, just throwing somebody in jail doesn't always solve the problem. It definitely doesn't mm-hmm. always solve the problem. Um, but I also wanted it to read like an all ages book, like something I could hand to my son and not feel like it's preachy, but it's also entertaining. Um, my point is, is the artist is this super talented guy named David Hahn, and I didn't want to feel like I was over, over narrating or over, you know, overdoing the mm-hmm. direction. So I really just gave him a breakdown of the pages, and I said, if you can work from this, Liz Little's the co-writer, so we gave him a breakdown of pages and said, if we, if you can work with this, then please do it. But it, it depends, and it's it's about dealing with personalities and dealing with skill sets and. Um, I love it. I like people. I like talking to people. I like talking to other creative people. I like to collaborate. So it's a nice like escape from the solitary nature of novels, though I do love that too. And maybe that's a response to writing comics. Like I need both to kind of reach that balance. Yeah. And to balance out. It's, uh, do you find that your 
comic background helps you in your novel writing? Like, are you a plotter? Do you do you create a script for yourself, or or do you have a different process for your novel and short story writing? Um, you know, with my short stories, I have a rough idea. Uh, I should preface this by saying I hate writing short stories. <laughs> I really just don't like doing it <laughs> because I don't know. I'm I'm a novel person, so I always think of it as like, oh, this could be a novel, and um. Like for uh, for Red Zone, which won the Anthony, I thought I you know I could get a novel out of this, and um, it's just short stories or vignettes basically. They're like they're not mm-hmm. they're not arcs. You're not showing a whole character arc. You're not going to have a big plot resolution. You're giving you're giving the reader a, a peek into this world that's hopefully compelling in what it is. Um, but yeah, definitely comics helps my writing in that it keeps my writing succinct. I don't over I don't describe over describe, I guess I describe when it counts. What I tell people is that if you see a detail in the book, it's, it's important. You know, I don't spend like pages and pages and pages, like describing the desk or the chair or the kind of bottle the person's drinking from. Like I give you just enough so the reader can create a picture in their own mind. And, and that's, that's, I mean, this is may just be my thing, but I think it's a contract you have with the reader. You create just enough for them to visualize and make the movie in their mind. And that's kind of what you do in comics. You give the artist just enough so they can then create the visual. And then together with your words, it becomes something special, hopefully. Um, but that's how comics influences um, my prose. But the other way around is that, you know, I am a plotter. I, I wasn't a plotter to begin with. I was, um, I, I, my first novel, I kind of just wrote page by page, like literally on the page. And eventually I learned, okay, I'll do a loose outline. So I'd start writing and then realize I'd painted myself into a corner and then outline from there and then um, write through the outline. But as I get older and do more, I start with a tighter outline. Like I have a big mm-hmm. thesis, and but I want to always give myself enough room to to veer off and do something else, you know, because you don't want to be, you don't want to be bored in the writing. You, you want the writing to right. feel fresh and, and have enough like wiggle room where you can hop off and do something else. And did you take, you talked about in college taking creative writing and taking, you know, getting some craft, but have you continued to learn how to do these things or do you learn on the job? Like, you know, how did you learn how to write a comic book or how to, how to draft a novel? Yeah. As a fan, I read a lot of like books on comics, like how to script and different. The good thing about comics is that there's no format for scripting. You just write it in a way that the artist is hopefully going to understand or your editor is going to understand. And it doesn't feel like there's no set, like, you know, in Hollywood, there's a set format. You have to kind of use final draft and it should be set up in a certain way. But, um, for comics is really what works best for the artist, which is a relief. But I did read a lot of stories, a lot of books about plot and, um, you know, Lawrence Block has a ton of great books on writing the mystery. Patricia Highsmith had a great one. I'm always like wary of like how to write books unless the person who's writing them actually has like credits where they've written the thing that they're teaching you about. And maybe that's just like me being, um, skeptical by nature, but there are still, there's so many great ones for mystery fiction. Um, I'm just looking at my shelf. Yeah. Telling Lies for Fun and Profit by Larry Block, you know, writing the novel. Patricia Heisman's on the other side of the shelf, but there's there's a lot of different ones. And in terms of comics, there, there are many by established writers. I think Brian Michael Bendis has a good one, and, and Peter David, who's written so many great comics, has, has a few as well. Um, so I just kind of immersed myself in that, and then um, as I built more time of my own, in my own writing, um, I think it just became more conversational with other writers. You build a network of people that you mm-hmm. kind of can pick their brain. Um, I'm lucky enough to be like in a really fun 
helpful helpful writers group with um i mean octar liz little and and kelly garrett and so we're always bouncing ideas off each other and um it was something that came up during the pandemic i I brought it up to kelly and i was like you know it would be would be helpful to you know if we had other people to get through this period with like we could trade manuscripts and just kind of help each other and it turned into this really wonderful thing where it's it's not just giving notes but it's like supporting each other and you know helping helping us all get through this so um yeah, if you can get a writer's group, I would suggest it. Just make sure it's with people you like. Well, the, the, that particular writer's group is incredibly prolific and, and having a great run of it, too. I yeah. mean, it's really <laughs> impressive. I mean, you can follow them all on Twitter and, and see what's going on, but it's an amazing... Um, I could see the support on Twitter, but it's also, wow. I mean, just big, you know, big things coming up for all of you, which yeah, is so yeah. exciting. Yeah, going to be huge, I think three of the four of us will have books out within like a month or two of each other. So, you know, we've talked about just going on tour together. (laughs) Yeah, no, why not? I think that's so great. Such a great way to do it. Um, you know, it's, it, community is important. And, and I think that, uh, when we start on a writing journey, people don't always talk about that enough, but, but, other writers matter. You need to know other people, um, who understand what you're going through. Yeah, you don't you don't create in a vacuum, and I think um, I think if you put as much energy into promoting other people's work as you do your own, and that that just doesn't mean just like plugging people's books because you want something in return, but it's about building that sense of community. and And I learned that mm-hmm. kind of coming up because I started out as a fan, and then as a aspiring author that was helping you know trying to become part of the community. And you know you see it in the people that are part of organizations like Sisters in Crime you know i'm i'm very active in crime writers of color i'm on the board of mystery writers of america and it's just like you just carve out some time to give back because you would appreciate that if you were on the other side you know you remember what it was like for you starting out or even now you know it would be nice it's nice to hear from other people that are plugging your stuff or supporting your efforts and um it just it's it's a resource that people should use like engage with your community yeah, and and your point about it being giving back and and paying it forward um, is such a good one because it's just um, it's a great com- the crime writing community particularly I don't know about the comic book community but the crime writing community is a good community it really is yeah comics can be good too I think it's just um, I, I try to do it for both you know I try to spread the word on you know I obviously work at a certain company so I'll promote my company stuff but I also want to plug things that I'm enjoying because that to me is the kind of purest sense you know you're just you just read something and you want to share it with people and um i try not to get bogged down in the negativity of social media it's very it's so much easier to type something nasty or mean or complain yeah. and i'd rather just share maybe it makes my i guess channels very one note but i'd rather just talk about stuff i'm enjoying because if i didn't like it i probably don't want to talk about it anymore Right. And, and everyone likes different things, too. I mean, that's, you know. Yeah. And I'm, not, I'm not a critic. I'm not a professional critic, so I don't need to be yeah. saying what I don't like. Um, when So one of your books is a Star Wars book. Mm-hmm. How does how does that happen? Because that's a that's not a small universe to be working in and to be writing in. Yeah, that was really exciting. Uh, Mike Siglane, who oversees Lucasfilm Publishing, reached out to me. We knew each other. We both, he, he has a comic book background and he reached out and said, would you ever want to do something with us? And I didn't really even know what he meant. I thought he meant like anything. I was like, I just said, yes, whatever it is, I'll do it. But then he drilled down and said, we're looking for somebody to write this Poe Dameron YA novel. And I had just written Lethal Lit, which was a YA crime podcast. And 
he knows that I've written for IP. I've written like Archie stuff and, and kind of, I know how to play within the sandbox of, of something that exists. And I think the Pete books had just ended. So there had been a lot of PR about the Pete books ending. And, and um, so he knew I could write a crime novel. It would just be about changing the setting into, into Star Wars. So that, that's kind of what spurred the discussions. But it was really fun. I didn't, uh, I didn't expect it to be as creative as it became. And did you know the universe already well enough to you know yeah, navigate it? I was a fan. I, and, a fan. I yeah. grew up on Star Wars. I mean, that doesn't, it's not particularly unique. I guess Star Wars is so like ingrained in pop culture. But I, I did have to do some research just for which was fun, like the most fun research, like rewatching the movies and reading like the post specific stuff to um, to really like bone up on the character and how he spoke and what his world was like. So you're. Writing life is one journey. And when I talk to people about this, I love to hear about their creativity in that part of their life. But the publishing journey is a different journey and a different, um, a different set of skills. Uh, you know, I also, I've had a few conversations with people about, um, success and how you need to measure your own success as a writer. You can't let it, uh, weigh in on your publishing success because it's not, it's not the publishing in so many ways is out of your control. Yeah. Um, yeah. So can you, what surprised you about the publishing journey in, in all of your different lives? I guess what was helpful to me is that I was working in publishing. Like my day job was doing publicity and marketing at DC when I first kind of got into writing my own stuff. And, um, so I knew that the runway was long and I, I would I wish I could transfer that to other new authors who kind of like come in and, and get their first deal and, and think everything is going to like line up magically. Um, and I, I went in knowing kind of that as a writer, I would have to do a lot of my own stuff. Like you, you can't just hand the keys to the publicity department of your publisher and just absolve yourself of all the work. So I was blessed to have that institutional knowledge already. Um, but it, it was surprising in that... Um, you know, there's it, the runway can be very long. You know, you can write five novels before people start talking about your first novel and you have to just be ready to do the work. And, um, you know, you have to really have that passion because there, you don't know exactly when that moment is going to be when you're going to, I guess, level up and, and finally start to see it more as an actual career as opposed to something you do in addition to your day job, you know. Um, and, yeah, that idea, you, you do have to end up doing a lot of the work yourself. Like you have to do the press yourself or you have to set up, go to – conferences on your own dime and you have to do it, you know, reach out and do your own events. Like, um, for the Pete books, Polis was very helpful and, and Jason is great at, you know, generating publicity and things like that. But there's other stuff that only you can do because it's your brand, you know, no one's going to look out for you more than you look out for yourself. And, um, and I think that still applies even when you're at a big house or you're, you're doing stuff like even for the star Wars book, I had to reach out to people and say, Hey, do you want to do this? Like obviously Disney has a great like PR machine and they were super supportive and, um, but it's really up to you. It's it's what you make of it and how you how you manage it. Um, I think um, I'm trying to think of what else surprised me about it. Um, yeah, I think that's the big stuff. Well, that is the big stuff. I it's it's um, it intrigues me that you went to Bouchercon as a fan before you became a writer. Were you thinking in the back of your head? I might do this at some point, or were you just purely, uh, I want to, I love crime novels. I want to go meet some people. It was a 
little bit of both. I knew in the back of my mind that I had a passion for the genre and that I was obviously thinking about the peat books and I had stopped and started writing it a, a few times. Um, yeah, I guess it's a long game. You know, you have to really become part of the community and engage with people. Like my first BoucherCon, I got to meet Megan Abbott. I mean, I knew Megan, but I got to meet her and Maura Lipman and Sarah Grant and Meg Gardner. Like, people that are friends of mine now, which is crazy to think about. Like, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not a, just that it's about relationships, but you kind of have to create your reputation and really like engage with the community and be helpful and be a fan, like show your passion for this stuff. Because I can't tell you how many times I see like a new writer show up and, and just kind of expect the stuff to happen to them. You know, like I'm here, here's my book, like <laughs> please blurb it. But it's not how it works. It's, you have to really be supportive and helpful and kind of in the trenches with everyone else, not because you want somebody to pay it back to you later, but because it's the right thing to do. And it's, you love the medium. You love the genre. I love crime fiction. I want it to be better. I want it to be diverse. I want it to be reflective of the world and the people that are in it. And um, that doesn't come from me just promoting my own books. I want to promote like, you know, own voices, diverse books, you know, books by talented people, and those are the books I want to see people reading. And that's, you know, the change is only going to come if you put in the time, I think. Well, and it's a very interesting time in the community as well, because we need to really make decisions and go all in mm-hmm. um, on action instead of just the words. And so it's it's also being part of the change you want to see, because yeah. that's that's how it's going to change. Yeah, I mean, it's. You know, it's very, you know, this was a topic of discussion, I think, last week with uh, just speaking generally about conventions. It's like if you are given a panel assignment and you notice that your panel assignment is, for lack of a better word, not diverse, like it's just very same, you should say something no matter who you are. Like it shouldn't be onus shouldn't always be on writers of color or marginalized writers to speak up. I think we're not going to see really genre-wide change until everybody starts speaking up and everyone starts making these demands because there's like, I think there's a comfort in inaction. You know, it's always been this way. So why should it be different now? Like what's the big deal? Um, but the big deal is we want, we want crime fiction to reflect the readership and reflect the authors because we have so many diverse and talented people working in this space. Like why should we just default to doing it the way we've always done it? And that's only going to come from people speaking up and from, you know, not being afraid to speak up and, I think now, you know, for me and so many other writers, like we feel like we have the place where we can speak up and say that without fear of, you know, there was, I think there's always this underlying fear of like, am I going to put my career at jeopardy, in jeopardy? And I don't think so. I think it's, it's been, it's become expected that you should be able to speak up and, and not worry about any kind of fallout. Crime Writers of Color is a fairly recent three or four year old mm-hmm. organization that's doing tremendous uh, work in this in this area in that there's a, a, a group of people who are willing to work with with people who are producing panels or, or looking at things to help them look at things through a different lens. There's also a newsletter and mm-hmm. recent publications and things like that and amplifying the voices, which is really great. It's a it's a great organization. Oh, thank you. Um, And Sisters in Crime was founded to try to start to do that for women and have expanded their tent. I mean, it it needs to be intentional acts. Things aren't going to change unless we all want them to change. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, you know, Kelly, Gigi, and Walter founded Crime Writers of Color as a place for people, you know, writers of color to connect and, and just support each other. And it's become this thing, you know, it's not an official, you know, LLC, you know, nonprofit or organization, but I think it's, you know, that's probably somewhere it's going. I mean, for me, it's important because my specific thing, I mean, I do a lot of stuff there, but you know, I'm one of the conference liaisons. And one of the important things for me is to show, you know, if a conference comes to us and asks us to look at their programming, we can give them feedback. And it's not a blessing. It's not a seal of approval. It doesn't mean that everything they've done is okay. It just means that you are engaging with the community and you want to get feedback. And I think that's important. Um, Some people want to do it and some don't. So. Yeah. Well, interesting times. And, and, and I think, optimistic times because there's so many people who are really working towards these changes. Totally. Yeah. I think there's definitely more good than, than frustrating so far. Now, do you mentor, uh, writers? Do you work with younger writers or do you, do you work with, um, people at your same level and, and critique groups? You mentioned that you do that, but, um, you know, do you disperse, Writing advice to folks in um, any yeah, of your I worlds? Yeah, I try to. I've, 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 done, I've done pitch wars the last two years where I've been a mentor or a co-mentor for the last two years. And, and that's been fun, just like really helping and coaching someone get their manuscript and pitch letter in order so they can query agents. And that's been a huge – I always love engaging with people and, and just giving them – Not it's not even advice, just sharing experience about how it happened for me and – you know, it's everyone's journey is different, but, you know, being able to help is so important. Um, and then just watching them succeed and do their own thing is really gratifying. And it's, it's something you do for, for free with the hope that you get paid back in, in just seeing them succeed, which is really important. Um, but yeah, it's a big part of just trying to stay connected with the community. You know, you help the person that was in your shoes a few years back in the way that you wished you could have been helped yourself. So tell me about some of the writing advice you got early on, you know, and the good and the bad of it. Like, what was the worst piece of writing advice you've ever gotten or you've ever heard given? Yeah, I think the advice that I really bristle against is the quota type advice. Like, you have to write a thousand words a day. You have to do this. You have to, like, do this kind of thing. And and that's the only way you'll succeed. Like, everyone's different. Um Attica Locke said this at the Virginia Festival of the book a couple years ago. She said, you know, saying you have to write a thousand words a day is a privilege. It's a privileged way of looking at things. And I think only you, the best advice I can give someone is only you can determine whether you're doing what you need to do. Like, I know if I'm slacking. I know if I'm, you know, eating popcorn and watching a movie instead of working on my novel draft. It doesn't always add up to a thousand words a day, but I know what my pace is. I know what I can do based on the other things in my life like my job and my kids and my other responsibilities, like, and only you can determine it. And the other bit of advice I always tell people is don't over ceremonialize the writing process. Like for me, it's like, I always keep my word document open. Like I save it obviously, but it's always open on my laptop. So at any point I can just crack open my laptop and like jam for like 10 or 15 minutes. And, you know, sometimes it adds up to a thousand words a day. Sometimes it's 5,000 words a day. Sometimes it's nothing. Sometimes it's just like plot or like staring at, you know, revising what came before, but you need to make the, the two dots, like the dot from you to actually starting the work, the space between as small as possible. Like you, you know, I've, I've heard writers who are like, well, I need to have my specialty. I need to have a certain kind of music playing. I need to have something else happening. And, um, the more things you add to that list, like the more detail you add to that list, the much, the harder it's going to be to get to the work. Yeah. 
it's such great advice and such a great way to to look at things and having it on your word doc so when you can find those 15 minutes in between projects or in between calls it's usually um, when kids are sleeping yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) how many projects do you have going on at any given time um well yeah i mean it's usually like five or six different things like now i'm finishing up copy edits on secret identity working on the dusk breakdown uh a few other comic book things in various stages and another novel idea that i'm outlining that's a whole different genre but yeah it's usually about four or five different things at various stages Wow, that's great. That's it's impressive. too much, probably, but it's good. It keeps me. I mean, like I said, I don't really have hobbies, so these are. This is kind of how I entertain myself too. Well, and I also loved what you said earlier when you got a call from somebody who said, "Would you be interested in working with us?" And you didn't mm-hmm. know what it was. What us was you knew Star Wars was the world, but you didn't know what it meant. You just said yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's. Always, I, I always. I like exploring opportunities and and keeping my output diverse and interesting you know i don't you know i'm a mystery writer but i'm a comic book writer i can do podcasts i can do i want to stay flexible because that's the fun part and you're also writing for adults you're also writing ya i mean which are both different streams very popular but it's a different skill set yeah totally yeah and you just have to be mindful of it when you're you're doing it i guess so what advice would you give your younger self I would probably just tell myself to, to finish, finish projects, you know, and I think I went through a long period of time as a young adult, you know, just getting, doing something, starting something, getting bored and starting something else. And it's, you know, I I think you, we all kind of flower at the right time. So it's not like I wish I had started earlier, like, but I guess I did. I I wish I had finished more stuff earlier because you, you get caught up in this mindset and you get distracted so easily, but you know, we're all on the journey. We're all at the pace that I think we were supposed to be on. So I'm happy with how things have gone. <laughs> well, we're all happy that <laughs> they're going for you as well, because you're giving us lots of wonderful things to read. Okay. And uh, and seeing you at different conferences and stuff is always a great thing. Yeah. Um, so you talked about what's next with the standalone. Any other projects you want to talk about? What else can I talk about? So we're working on the dusk, which was funded on Kickstarter, and I'm excited to get that going and, and have people see some some art. Um, and I've got a few other things that haven't been announced yet that I'm excited. So yeah, the big thing for me is secret identity at this point. And the dusk was a Kickstarter project. Can you had you done that before? Had you crowdfunded projects no, before? No, no, no. It was uh, yeah, it was intense. It was. I'm not big on like asking people for money or, or that kind of thing, but it was a very unique kind of publishing path that I wanted mm-hmm. to explore. So it was pretty stressful. I'm not going to lie. It was just, you have to kind of water the plants every day and promote it and kind of hammer it. And it's a lot of moving pieces. Thankfully I'd partnered with a crowdsourcing publisher called ominous press. So they did the mechanical stuff. I just didn't have the time to be, you know, working in the program or the backstage of Kickstarter, but yeah. It was really cool, and it was. I was so blown away by the outpouring of support from like artists who wanted to contribute, and other writers who amplified or contributed to the the campaign itself. So, it was great. I just think it's a, it's a lot, and um, I don't know if I'll do it again anytime soon. But it was. It's so. It felt so validating that people were so into the idea that they funded it. So, well, it's a. It's an interesting 
avenue. I know people who've funded theater projects that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. It is a tremendous amount of work, but it's uh, the vast opportunities in publishing right now are also pretty exciting and that you you can remove a gatekeeper you can fund it yourself and you can figure that out is pretty great yeah no you nailed it i think that's exactly it um you know liz and david and i had been we talked to various publishers about the idea and everyone kind of liked it but we wanted it to exist in a certain way we wanted it to be a graphic novel we wanted it to we wanted to control the story so our thought was let's make this happen let's create it for ourselves and then then once the book is done, we can go to someone and say, do you want to put this out? You know, that's, yeah. that's, then we're much more in control of our destiny, which, which it felt like such a special project that that's what we wanted out of it. No, yeah, it's really great. Very, very cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast Oh, this today. is awesome. You had such great and questions. For- <laughs> well, I love talking to writers and I love hearing about process and I, and you have so many projects going on. It's just very inspiring. Uh, yeah, um, thank you. Yeah, no, it's good. It was very, very fun. And, you know, I love Sisters in Crime. It's such an important part of my community. So, Have you been a member for, when did you join Sisters in Crime? It's, uh, it's got to be at least three years, three. It, it yeah. should have been longer. I should have done it long ago, but. <laughs> well, we're glad that you joined when you did. And yeah. community is such an important part of um of the whole thing. And and you did such a great job at laying that out for us. Oh, thanks. So thank you very much, Alex. My pleasure. It was an honor to be here. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.